First Peter chapter four is where we will be tonight. And we did this on Sunday morning by a show of hands. Raise your hand if you were on a mission trip this past week. Can we give it up for our mission teams? I know, I know the Lord used them in a, in a great way. I know we had people come to know Jesus through those trips. I know people were connected to the local church in their areas. I know people were blessed and weeping because teams prayed for them. Teams loved on them. Uh, so just want to say thank you all for your work. Thank you for your sacrifice of a week. And the work doesn't stop. It only, it only ramps up from here. Um, so I want to encourage you in that. But while we were on mission trip, and you guys might have heard this, last Wednesday, the world went crazy because the news of OU and Texas leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC, started going crazy. It started going everywhere. I started getting texts and calls, and I'm like, I would love to look this up right now, but I'm on a mission trip. I can't waste my time looking up uh, this, this nonsense, but it's just going crazy. I know we got OU fans in here. I know we got bitter OSU fans in here, right? All that stuff was going on, but I don't, oh, Texas, yeah, no. We got any Texas fans in here? Okay, we will circle around you and pray for you in that moment. But I know, you know, we love talking about college football here in Oklahoma and about OU and OSU, the state schools, but I want to just take a brief moment and talk about a different school, Clemson University. Their head coach, his name's Coach Dabo Sweeney. I tried to get Brittany to name our first son Dabo. She said no. I don't know why. Uh, But Dabo Sweeney, he's the head coach for Clemson. He's been the head coach for a while. Uh, He's a great coach. They've had success in the last decade. They've won a couple national championships. They're a perennial power now. Uh, Not only is he a great coach, but he's a faithful follower of Jesus. And if you watch any press conferences, if you read any articles about, uh, about Dabo, you can hear that he has a relationship with Jesus and he tries to implement as much as he can into his school, into his team, into his coaches as you can as a state school head coach. Uh, but he is uh, all in for Jesus. And Clemson is obviously known for being a powerhouse within the last decade. But they have this slogan uh, that is that the whole university, the whole football team uh, circles around, and that's their, their, their heartbeat. In 2016, ESPN did an interview on it, and their, their motto is hashtag all in. If you've seen any of their shirts during the playoffs, any of their, their social media or in their press conferences, they're all about this tagline of all in. And this, this idea that everybody in the Clemson program coaches, the people that help the, with the trainers, the, the players, the fans, everybody is all in, giving their 100% for the team. So Dabo in his interview talks about fans being all in, driving across the country to go watch a game or driving across the country early in the morning so they can watch the press conference before the game, and they're all excited for it. He, he talks about those, those fans are all in. He talks about the coaches and the players. I mean, if you uh, would even see a schedule of a college football player, especially at Division I level, their, their schedule is full of film, lifting, conditioning, practice, everything is around the football team. So they are, I mean, they have to be sold out, but there's this culture of these players going above and beyond what they've been told and called to do, right? These coaches are doing uh, extra meetings with their players, and these players are doing extra practices and extra conditioning and extra uh, anything they can to gain an advantage 
in the game. And they said this, uh, this motto, this culture is year-round at Clemson. That at any point, they're trying to go all in with their team. And obviously, they've had a lot of success from it in the last decade. I tell you the story about Coach Dabo and the culture at Clemson of being all in because I think too often we don't go all in in our relationship with Jesus. We don't go all in with our faith, right? We may give him Sundays and Wednesdays, right? You may be a faithful member here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Shoot, you might even give him a day or two to read the Bible throughout the week, spend time with him. Yet the other days, right, you're just like, ah, no, I'm good, I'm going to do me. I need to spend time on this. And far too often, we give more effort to our hobbies and our fandom than we do with our relationship with Jesus. We spend more time on social media, posting one post. We can spend 25 minutes trying to find the right caption, the right angle, editing the photo. We spend more time on social media than we do reading our Bible throughout the week. Right? We can be very guilty of not going all in with our faith, all in with our relationship with Jesus. And tonight's passage in 1 Peter 4 is going to talk about the Christian life. It's going to talk about how we should respond, how we should live. Again, the context is these believers scattered through Asia Minor. They're not in just one big community. They're scattered throughout the land with not a lot of believers around them. But tonight, I want you to understand that Jesus calls for your everything. He calls for your everything, your motives, your actions, your plans, your heart. That's his demand. That's his call on your life. And the proper response is to go all in with Jesus. Not to hold anything back, but to give him everything. We're in First Peter 4. Let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to go all in with you, that you desire a relationship with us. And I pray tonight for these students that this would become a reality. If some of them are holding back because of friend groups, because of pressures, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that those barriers would be broken down and a confidence and boldness would be placed in our students to live for you, to go all in for you. And Lord, for those tonight that don't know you, I pray barriers would be broken down that they would give their life to you and go all in with you in that way. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who makes this all possible. Amen. So we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 first. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions and drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The first point that I want you to understand tonight is that we are called to think like Christ. We are called to think like Christ. I bet there's many of us, we have a favorite hobby or we have a favorite sport that we like doing. And when we do those hobbies and when we do those sports, we try, we, we probably have people we look up into in that realm. So if you're, if you like sports, if you like basketball, I imagine some of you, I know I did this when I was little, we had the basketball hoop out in front of the house or in the backyard, you're on the court and you're just dribbling, you're like envisioning, you're getting into the mindset of a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry or a LeBron James and you're thinking, oh, there's five seconds left, I'm going up the court, I'm going to sidestep because I see this opening, I'm going to pull back, I'm going to do this. You're getting into the mindset of what a basketball player would do. Or I think this is funny, 
uh, I am artistically challenged. Uh, my wife is very gifted artistically. She's a graphic designer. She can paint. She, she can do all of those things. And I remember, uh, it was probably like our fifth date uh, when we were outside of camp. And she was in Oklahoma City. I was in Joplin. We would meet up in Tulsa because that was the halfway point. And I picked this one spot where it was like a, a clay pottery type deal where you could pick out these things and you could paint them. Now, that's way out of my comfort zone. So I'm like, hey, you paint a plate, and I'll paint a plate. Mine looked horrendous. It just looked bad. It just looked like a kindergartner did it. But I'm just sitting there trying to paint, trying to make these like this cool pattern, mixing her school mascot and my school mascot into one design, which was just a bad idea. But I'm watching her, and I'm like, I'm trying to get in the mindset of how she makes these these strokes on the plate, how she does all of that, and it looks great. I'm just trying to get in the mindset of her doing that, but obviously I couldn't because I'm just not gifted that way. right? We like to try to get in the mindset of the hobbies and the sports that we like it when we're doing those ourselves. And it's the same way with our faith. Verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We're to think like Christ. And verse 1 is important. It, it ties back to what Matthew preached on a couple weeks ago. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Peter is making a claim that is true. He says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, this happened. He was crucified. He, was, he suffered in the flesh. Since this is true, he has something for us to do afterwards. Right? We don't just learn that Jesus suffered on the cross, was crucified, and just say, oh yeah, that's good news, great. And we just sit and do nothing. Right? He suffered in the flesh. Therefore, it says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arming yourself has this military connotation to it. Right? Arm yourself. You don't imagine a soldier going out to war and getting out to the battlefield. Bullets are flying and they're like, oh man, I forgot my gun. I forgot my helmet. Oh man, I haven't worked out in like three months. I'm just not ready for this. Right? That's, that's not going to happen. A soldier is ready for battle. He has his rifle. He has his helmet. He's in athletic condition to be able to, to do the task of a, shoulder, of a shoulder, soldier. With this military connotation, it gives me the impression that we, aren't, we are not to take this lightly. When we are to arm ourselves with the same thinking of Christ, that's something we don't take lightly because Christ never focused on himself, right? He died for other people. He gave his life for other people. There's nothing selfish about that. But there's something inside of us that is selfish. Innately, we want to focus on ourselves. Innately, we want to protect ourselves. Innately, we want the most comfortable life we can live. But the Bible says, arm, your, well, arm yourself in the same way of, of thinking as Christ, who suffered in the flesh. So we have to be prepared to live for Christ. That we have to be prepared to suffer for Christ. This is the mindset we should have all of the time, that we are so devoted to Him. At the end of that verse, it says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I don't want to be, you to be confused about this. Like, oh, if I give my, uh, my life to Jesus and someone makes fun of me, does that mean I don't sin anymore? No, that's not what it means at all. What the author is getting at, because obviously we're not free from sin from this earth, right? We're, we're a new creation, but we're still sinners that are in need of Jesus every single day. But the, what the writer here means is that the control of sin on a believer's life has been severed. If you are arming yourself with the same way of thinking of Christ, ready to suffer for your faith, 
You have such a commitment to Christ. Therefore, your commitment can't be to sin. So a believer isn't going to be stuck in habitual sin forever. They are going to break that because their commitment is to the Lord. So they're not stuck in that habitual sin. So that's what it's meaning here where it says, has ceased from sin. You're committed to the Lord. That is your mission. You're not stuck in your sin anymore. Therefore, sin has no control on you. And that commitment severs sin's control in your life. Verse 2 says, So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So what it's saying here, it's, it's, it's bringing up this comparison. Once you have given your life to Jesus, you no, no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. You don't live for human passions anymore. You live for the will of God. And what I think is important for us to, to look at this, and it's important for us to understand our own testimony because this is our testimony. Before we knew Jesus, we lived for our human passions. We lived for our own selfish gain. But now, after Christ has saved us, we are now saved for a mission. We're saved to live for the Lord, not to look inwards at ourselves. So what does it look like to live for human passions before Christ? It looks like focusing on fulfilling our desires. Focusing on popularity. Focusing on our personal gain and fame. It's a focus on how many followers and likes can I get on my social media being uh, identified by the things you like or the things other people want you to be identified by. That's what it looks like before Christ, pursuing those human passions. And I could sit here and just speak a whole list, but we don't have time for that. But you get the idea. Before Christ, you're living for yourself. You have no other reason to live for anything else. But after Christ, what are you living for? It's to live for the will of God. What is the will of God? It's to glorify Him. It's to love Him. It's to love other people. It's to make disciples. It's to go witness to people so that they may come to know Jesus. When I counsel people who are new believers, I tell them this every time. Most of the time, I'm talking to teenagers. So anywhere from 13, 12 to to 18, I say you're you're between 12 and 18. Most of you guys are going to live, what, 85, 100 years in that area, so you, you got another 70, 80, 90 years of life ahead of you. Now, Jesus didn't save you for those 80, 90 years for you to live a cush life, a comfortable life, focused on yourself. He saved you at this time so that you would spend the next 80 years making his name famous, living on mission that you would love him, you would love others, and you would make disciples, to glorify his name, to witness to other people. You were not saved to live a comfort, comfortable life, you were saved to live on mission. To have this mindset, and it's so incredibly important to have this mindset, because when we don't have the mindset, arming ourselves with the mindset of Christ, it's really easy in Edmond, Oklahoma to, to kind of sit back, oh, well, we're kind of in the Bible Belt, well, everyone knows I'm a believer, I don't have to say anything, I don't have to witness to other people, I can just come to Sundays and Wednesdays and that's about it, I don't got to get in the Bible every week. It's socially acceptable to not be open and vulnerable with people. But that's not what God has called us to. Peter's telling us here, no, you are to live for the will of God, not for the human passions. So we must arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. In verse 3, it says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless 
idolatry. Essentially, this just gives more details of what it looks like a life before Christ. This was common practice amongst the Gentiles, the people who did not know Jesus. This is what the sins, the lifestyle that was named among them. And that can be named among this world in, in 2021 as well, right? A lot of these are applicable to what we, maybe our friends are doing, what we see on TV, what we see on social media, maybe even something that we've participated in. But he talks about sensuality, passions, drinking parties, sexual sin, drunkenness, lawless idolatry. Let me just say this. We cannot be surprised when the world acts like the world. The world is lost. Therefore, the world is going to act like lost people. Lost people aren't going to live a holy life. They're going to live a life for their human passions, for their selfishness. So we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world, when lost people act like lost people. The thing we should be surprised by is when Christians act like the world. When Christians act like lost people. When Christians are stuck in their human passions because we know the Bible tells us that is not what we're called to do. We're called to live for the will of God to make His name famous. So this is an accountability thing for us. If we have the mindset of Christ, our friend group should have the mindset of Christ and we should be able to, should be able to hold one another accountable to that. That we don't let our friends just stay in that habitual sin. We don't let our friends just look at whatever they want to or say whatever they want to or go to whatever party they want to or do whatever they do with their boyfriend and girlfriend. Our lives should look different and it should alarm us when it doesn't. Because imagine, he's again talking to these people exiled across Asia Minor. They don't have the Christian community you guys have right now. So it's real easy for them to get lost in that, to look like the, the culture around them. It's really easy to be impacted by that. But when you have the mindset of Christ, that stuff is not going to take control of your life because you're so committed to Jesus. It's hard to go against these sins and more, but we must arm ourselves in the same way of thinking of Christ. 1 Peter 4, verses 4 through 6 say this, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The second point for you tonight is that we are called to shine like Christ. The first point, we are to think like Christ. We are also called to shine like Christ. Verse 4 talks about this idea of respect to this. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. You probably have have noticed this. The world takes notice when you don't join them in their sin. Your friends take notice when you don't join them in their sin. If you stood up and said, no, I'm not going to go to that party and get drunk like everybody else. No, I'm not going to Snapchat the way that you do. No, I'm not going to talk and gossip the way you do. I'm not going to cheat on my homework and test like you. The world takes notice of that. Now, is the world going to be like, well, that's great. You do you. That is awesome. Right? There's a lot of that in culture, except for Christianity. Right? There's this special focus on Christianity. If you are different and you are calling me what my lifestyle is sin, they will attack you. And the Bible says they will malign you. And malign means to criticize, to come after. So the Bible promises you, when you live differently from the world, the world will criticize you. 
Are you strong enough to stand up to that criticism? Or is your foundation in your relationship with Jesus strong enough to stand up to that criticism? People don't like when you're different from them in, in a holy way. If you are not participating in sin, and you're not doing what they're doing, they're going to start feeling a little bit self-conscious. They may not tell you, but the way they attack you and the way they criticize you is because they want you to join them because they don't have to look at themselves or really analyze what they're doing. If someone is going against the grain, they're like, well, that's going to put focus on me and my sin and, what, and my actions. So their game plan, their strategy is to bring you back into what they're doing. So that's where the criticism comes. That's where their attacking comes because they don't want to be called out for what they're doing. So they want to make it normal. And that's common in right Christianity, Christianity and non-Christians. But it also happens within Christian community. Right? When someone's like, oh, well, you're just holier than Get off your horse. You're, you're like a really strong Christian or really serious Christian. You need to lighten up a bit. Really? Maybe we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And many times we isolate those people that we, we call serious Christians or super strong Christians because we don't want to feel bad about ourselves because we know they are living a life for the Lord and we aren't all in with it. We aren't fully committed to that life. It's very real in the Christian community. And that's not, we're not called to live like that. We're called to live holy lives that are separate, that are separated from this world. But we need to understand the Bible promises when you live different from the world. When you live for the Lord, you will be mocked. So we need to understand that. Verse 5 says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. It's important. Everyone will be judged by the Lord. When he comes back, everyone will be judged. And if you have Jesus as uh, your Lord and Savior, you are saved, right? You go to heaven. But if you don't acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, you go to hell, right? Eternal damnation is where you're headed. So this fact that we know, but Peter again tells us, should move us in two ways. Number one, when you're being criticized for your faith by those people, know that criticism isn't forever. It will one day end. Your faith in Jesus is eternal. It will last forever. So no, continue to hold on. You may think 80 years is a really long time. Eternity is longer. Hold on to the faith. Know that the suffering will end. The, the criticism, the, 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 the rumors, the gossip about you being isolated will end and you will spend eternity with Jesus. So know that God ultimately wins that battle. But it should also move you in this way. Though they may criticize you, though they may ostracize and isolate you, they're going to stand before the Lord one day And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. Do you want them to go to hell? I would assume no. Even though if they're hateful, we might say yes, but I would hope that you would say no. I hope they don't go to hell. So in understanding this fact that everyone will be judged, even if the world is acting like a lost world, which it is, we are called to go evangelize, to witness, to shine a bright light for Christ that even through the criticism... They may see our good works and glorify our Father on the day of visitation, earlier in 1 Peter 2 says. That our hearts and our minds, right? Our minds, we should have the mindset, though they criticize, though they isolate, we would witness to them. Because we wouldn't want it to be said to them that 
that person is going to hell and we had an opportunity to share with them. Obviously, their salvation is not dependent on you. But the Lord uses human instruments to win people for Himself. Verse 6, For this is the why the Gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now this, uh, this puts an emphasis on why the Gospel is preached, and this could be another confusing verse for you as well. But what Peter is doing, he's pointing to the believers that are already dead. Right? They were believers in Jesus, but they've already died. What he's focusing on is that, oh, they are just like everybody else. They die a physical death. Everybody in this room will die one day. We will all die. And again, we'll face judgment. But we will all have a physical death. But we see that believers, they will be living eternally with the Father. That though we have a physical death like everybody else, but we will have an eternal life with those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This again is the difference between living in the flesh and living in the Spirit. We are to shine bright for the Spirit, not give way for the flesh. 1 Peter 4, 7-11 through reads, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks or oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The third and final point is that we are called to live like Christ. So we're to think like Christ, we're to shine like Christ, and we are to live like Christ. Verse 7, Peter's continuing this uh, judgment theme when he's talking about the end. When he's talking about the end times. Uh, And what you see in Scripture is uh, they'll talk about the end times as an encouragement for believers to continue to live faithful for the Lord, right? These people are scattered. He's encouraging them with, hey, the end is near. The end is coming. Continue to live faithfully for the Lord. Continue to witness. It's an encouragement. But you might be wondering, what, what, what's he talking about? Is The end is near. This is written a long time ago. The, if the end was near, like, why, why are we still here? There's different uh, views on eschatology. But essentially what this is, when Christ was crucified, when he was resurrected, it started the last days. We are living within the last days. So this is an encouragement. This is what he's calling us to here. So with this in mind, the the end time is near. He's now calling us to action, which he says in verse 7. Since it is near, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled. Do not be tossed by the winds and waves of this world. Do not be tossed by uh, the controversies, by the political extremists, by whatever argument you want to get into or whatever argument that the world wants to get into on Twitter or or TikTok. Whatever the gender revolution is speaking, do not get caught up in that. Do not let that change your focus. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be steadfast in God's Word. That's how we become sober-minded and self-controlled is spending time with the Lord. Verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Looked up the definition of earnestly, and it says, sincere and and intense conviction. Peter is calling us to love one another with sincere and intense conviction. So that tells me what? Loving, it's hard. Loving people is hard because people are people. People are dumb. People are selfish. People are hurtful. People are annoying. People get on your nerves. Right? We can go on the laundry list of what people do and how they can get on our nerves and how it's really hard to love people sometimes. You can probably think of some people that are really hard to love in your mind right now. Yet, Peter calls us to love them with an intense and a conviction that Christ has called you to love one another. Obviously, we know love God, love others, make disciples. We know that it is intentional. It's hard. It's also intentional. Right? Loving someone isn't just going to be easy. It's not like the Ben Rector song, loving you is easy. You guys didn't know I was a singer. You guys didn't know I was a singer. Yeah. You want me to keep going? I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm done. But we have to be intentional. It's not just going to come naturally to us. Because people are different for us, and we always like the people in our tribe. It's so easy to love our friends, right? Sometimes it's hard, but it's easy to, to group up and love our friends. But even in this youth group, there's, we, we have a large youth group. And there's di- there can be different divides in a youth group, different groups within a youth group. What he's calling us, we're not just supposed to love the people within our own group. This isn't supposed to be a youth group of groups. It is supposed to be a youth group. That we are intentional about reaching out to those that are different from us. They may not be in our, our immediate group of friends. Right? There's different ways that we need to love people, but it's also expected in the life of a believer. That you're not called just to come to know Jesus, share Jesus when it's convenient for you, and not love other people. It's expected in the life of a believer. And we see that uh, love covers a multitude of sins. We also know that Jesus, His love, poured out on the cross, covers our sins. Verse 9 says, Show hospitality one another to one another without grumbling. And I just kind of alluded to this a bit, but we don't, you guys don't have houses on your own. You guys live in your parents' house. Right? So, You can't just be like, oh, come on over whenever. You have to check with your parents. But what's one easy way you can be hospitable? Again, within the friend groups at school or youth group, bring other people in. It's not about, oh, I just have my group of friends and I only want them in my group. Be hospitable. Bring other people into your group and love them. Be intentional with them. Remember, being hospitable is not about you. It's about other people. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. Verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We all have spiritual gifts. If we're a believer, the Lord has gifted us in a way to serve Him. If you don't know your spiritual gift, go to qsbc.org students, scroll down, and you can take a spiritual gift survey. It'll, you can go through all the questions, and it'll pop out what your spiritual gifts are. We want you to know them because we want you to serve. We want you to use those gifts. But what's important to understand with our gift is that God has given given it to you to serve. Not for your personal gain, but to serve for His glory. Not to keep it for yourself, but to use it for Him. And 11 continues on and says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him being glory and dominion forever and ever. 
I want you to always remember this. Your gift is empowered by the Lord. The, the power of your gift is supplied by the Lord. It is supplied by the Holy Spirit. It is not supplied within your own flesh. But too often, we take our giftings and we act like we own them. We become self-centered and become self-promoting in our gifts. Right? You may be a good teacher. You may be a good musician. You may be a good hospitable person. You may be a good encourager. Right? All those things are great and God uses, desires us to use it for His glory. But oftentimes we use it to promote ourselves. To fill ourselves up and ask for compliments. Ask people to love on us because of that. That's not the goal. That's not the vision God has for our spiritual gifts. It's to serve one another. And especially, just think of this context. Right? It's not going to be very self-serving for these Christians scattered in Asia Minor to just be self-serving because that's not going to do anything for their witness. He's using those gifts. He's giving them those gifts so they could bless other people. And again, in 1 Peter 2, it says, so they may see your good works and glorify your God on the day of visitation. I think that's so important for us to understand. He desires us to serve, to live like Christ, who served with his own body, with his own life. So it's clear that Peter is calling these believers, and he's calling us in this room to go all in. Not to live one way at church and another way at home. He's calling us to, have, to think like Christ, to have the mindset of Christ. To shine like Christ, so others may see our good works and glorify our Father. And to live like Him. Be sacri- self-sacrificial. Be others-minded. Serve one another. Love one another, so they may see Jesus in you that you may have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. So again, there's two groups of people in this room. Those who are believers. And there may be some in that group that you aren't all in with your faith. You aren't all in with your relationship with Jesus. You may give Him Sundays and Wednesdays. You may give Him one day a week to read the Bible or listen to uh, or read the verse of the day on version. right? We may be the person that leaves our faith, our relationship at the door once the conversation comes up about gossiping and we're like, oh, this is too juicy. I need to jump in on this. Or we are leaving our faith aside because we want to look up stuff on the internet that we know we shouldn't look up. We want to do things with our boyfriend and girlfriend we know we shouldn't do, but we want to do. We talk about people. We let our language slip because that's what we want to do and we leave our faith to the side. When we go all in with Jesus, that doesn't happen. He wants everything, every moment of our life, everything. He's gifted you in different areas so that you may glorify God and reach people in those areas, in those hobbies, in those academics, in those athletics. All of those things are for the purpose of glorifying God and bringing others to Him. God desires you to be all in. So how do you Go all in with the Lord, right? You may be a believer. How do you do that? Get back to spending time with Him. You can't go all in with Him if you don't spend time with Him. You can't, if you're an athlete or if you're in the military, you can't go all in with your job if you're not putting in the work. But know this. Just like verse 11 says, when you spend time with Him, He empowers you to live for Him. He grows the fruit in your life. It's not you. It's not your hard work. It's spending time with Him and allowing Him to work through you. Go all in with Him. Spend time with Him every day because I promise you, you will see a change and you will see 
Him work in your life and in the life of people around you. And there are people in this room that don't know Jesus. You're leery of going all in for Christ. And let me just tell you this. He desires to know you. He brought you into this room on July 28, 2021 because He wants you, He wants to get your attention. He wants you to go all in with Him, to give your life to Him. He gave His life, He gave His all for you on the cross. He took your sin on the cross and He desires a relationship with you because through His death, through His resurrection, you now have the opportunity for eternal life. And that's a decision that will be a, a life and a life abundant, as John 10.10 10 says. So as Lance comes up, we're going to spend some time worshiping through song. And during that, if you want to spend time, this I mean, we haven't historically done this in here, but if you want to use this time to come up and kneel, and you feel like you're not giving Jesus your all, you're not going all in, and you just want to come as a, a, a sign and pray to the Lord, Lord, I repent of my sin. I want to give you everything. Do that. Bring a friend with you. If you want to pray with the person next to you, do that. If there's a group of you that want to huddle up and pray together, repent together. That's incredible. I believe the God, that God is working in this youth group. I believe God has something special for, for this youth group. I believe there's tons of momentum coming from the mission trip, tons of momentum coming from Falls Creek because he's working individually in your lives. But let me tell you this. It's really hard for God to be moving when we're not all in. So my call for you is to go all in. Give him your everything. For those, some of us, it means giving him our time on our phone, giving our time in our hobbies and our athletics. Others of us, it may be giving our life to Him, confessing Him as Lord, repenting of our sins and being saved. So as we stand, will you stand as we sing? If you want to come to the front, if you want to go to the back, we want to talk with you, we want to pray with you, take advantage and remember, go all in with your relationship with Jesus.